Right. Good morning, friends and family in podcast land, and welcome to We The Scenario. I'm your host, Tony Siona, alongside the incomparable Miss Maggie B. Now, today's discussion carries a lot of emotion. The mood of the country is all over the place. For myself, I'm appalled at the fact that my children, my wife, and myself will and always have been targets for abuse from the same people that are supposed to protect and serve the community. But before I get into detail about how I feel, I just want to welcome all those that have joined us for such a powerful conversation. I want to thank y'all for being with us. Now, Miss Maggie B, please take the floor. Thanks, Tone. So thank you again to everyone on our panel and who's joining us today. Um, so to start off, kind of going off Tone's introduction, um, we were wondering how has the mood been in all of your respective cities and communities? I'm not exactly sure where everyone is, but yeah, anyone's welcome to share how the mood has been um, both during the trial and after the verdict two days ago. Actually, Dr. Taylor, why don't you feel this one? Um, the mood, uh, uh, it's uh, in some ways it's a uh, relation that there has been a, uh, you know, a verdict of guilty on all charges. But at the same time, um, there has been a life that's the loss, a beautiful life that could have blossomed to do anything in this world. And that you can never put a price on that. And being a teacher and educating these students, I just, I couldn't imagine one of my students being put in one of those situations where, you know, their life is lost uh, over something that was so senseless. Okay, Angela. Is there an Angela there? Somebody hit Angela in there. Okay. All right, Brother Frederick, can you feel that question? Yeah. Uh, so first I'll say, uh, you know, the verdict that came out uh, was the, the right one um, for sure. Uh, and there was a lot of anxiety in, uh, in the community here. So I'm from Oakland, but I currently reside in Seattle. And we all know uh, during during the uh, when this first came out last year uh, between Seattle and Oakland, these were some of the the the, the spaces in the U.S. that were were most resistant to what's going on. And I can say that um, you know the the guilty verdict coming out was the right one. It it, it definitely is not as as hot in these streets as it was. Um, but we all know that uh, it, it was a temporary moment of, of solace, you know, um, and the reality is we have some structural reform that we need to institute um, so that we don't see more occurrences like this happening. But I'll, I'll stop there. Okay, Ms. Maggie. Thank you, everyone who's so far responded. Um, does anyone else want to chime in about how the mood has been um, both during the trial and after the verdicts? It's, it's almost like we didn't get a get an opportunity to take what happened in. Uh, like, so we seen like the Rodney King verdict where he didn't die, but he won the, he won a civil suit or whatnot. And so I think there was still a level of, even though we're watching that nine minutes and something odd seconds on, on live, 
and we can all see that he's murdering this guy that I think all of us that are black and ethnic, we were thinking like they still not go prosecute him. It's still not going to be a level of justice. So to finally see something, to finally see a peace officer get uh, get what was deserved of what for what they did, it felt good. But then as that's happening, you got another little young lady that uh, was into an altercation and then she got shot on shot on site. You got that going on. Then you got the thing in Alameda going on with the Latino guy that so it's like we didn't get time to breathe. And so it's more so like, what do we do next? Uh, and the thing that I feel like we have to continue to do is we have to figure out a way to make police officers turn into peace officers, exactly what they supposed to be, instead of like these martial law artists that are just, uh, just annihilating folks and really annihilating black folks. Like the list goes on and on. You can put a black person up to a white counterpart or an Asian counterpart and that black or that brown person keep getting gunned down like a dog. And so it's like enough is enough. Uh, it could, that, that situation could have been any of us at any point in time. So it's, the tension is still there. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like the verdict even resolved anything because people don't trust the police. Uh, that That's a space to where we have to work on uh, as leaders in our community, uh, filling that void, uh, criminal reform, like sending people to jail for marijuana for 20 years. Those cases are still there. Those folks need to come home. Uh, and be able to reintegrate in society without having this black crowd cloud over their head. So I feel like we have a lot of work to do still. I believe that it's a lot of work because I've been in the system and they're not rehabilitating anything. So nothing, the way this whole system is set up, nothing is set up to, to help us as a people, period. Um, I don't know if anybody's views it like that and please speak up if you do or if you don't. It's not set up for us to win. So it feels like we as a people are always bringing a knife to a gun. You know, and the funny thing is it's more of us than it is of them. So uh, that's just my Maggie? Thanks, Dwayne and Tone for speaking on that. Um, yeah, does anyone have a response to what Tone just mentioned or anything that's been brought up so far? Any of the young people on the call have any thoughts about How's your mood been? How have you been feeling about all of these, all of this going on? Um, no pressure to talk. We know this is a really heavy topic, but want to make space for all of y'all. Somebody, go ahead. No, 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 no. You go ahead. Go ahead. Thanks, Stacy. Um, I just wanted to point out, um, sort of build on what Dwayne was talking about when. You know, we get this uh, this verdict come back, which was the right verdict to, to to have. And then right after that, a couple of other incidents are happening. And all that indicates to me is that, you know, we really have a, a, a cultural issue that we need to deal with when it comes to police. 
we really need to uh, to assess it. We talk about this concept of reimagining. We talk about this concept of abolishing. Uh, the bottom line is the way that they engage with uh, the community more often than that, and more often than that, communities of color, and let's just call it black, um, it just seems to be a different set of rules of engagement. Um, and we just, <laughs> we really got to look at that shit, really. Um, and so uh, policing culture really needs to be addressed. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talks about the George George Floyd policing reform bill that needs to be adopted nationally. Um, I hope that that's a, a step in the right direction. But, um, you know, we got a, a bad policing culture um, and, and it, it impacts us disproportionately. That just comes from what we see. Can you imagine what we don't see is like more going on than what than what we're seeing on media. That I, I think that's what bothers me the most: things that go on there and things that aren't getting any, uh, any promotion. You know, this is it's not it doesn't feel well. Does anybody else have any uh, response to that, Stacy? Yeah, yeah, I, I was gonna say this about the about the little girl issue is uh, really about any issue. Um, kind of what, what Dwayne touched on is the way that we're handled versus any other race. Um, but we also have to know that, you know, we have to know that we're gonna be handled differently and we can't give them any type of a, you know, just like the girl having a knife there, you know, when the police showed up, she should have dropped that knife a long time ago. And, and not to say that none of this is right and it shouldn't be justified, but it's going to be justified because when you slow it down frame by frame, it looks like that girl was going to stab the other girl. But in real time, there's no way that he could have made that decision. With, with, I don't know, man. I just think that we, we have to know that we're going to be handled differently and we can't give them any type of a reason. That's all. Yeah. Training. Training. Anybody else? And I was just—I I, I tell you what, too. These these people, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think that a lot of these officers playing Call of Duty, you know, because the, the first thing they're doing is shooting. You know, I, I mean, I don't think that that has anything to do with any other type of training, but target right. Sorry about the Dwayne. Go ahead, though. No, I was just going to say it is sad when the conversations. I remember growing up on the of my grandmother would always tell the young men like. If the police ever stop you, comply, say your name, don't run, don't turn your back, stand there and go through the process. And it's really sad that you can't speak up for yourself when you're supposed to have freedom of speech because it's a possibility that you may either go to jail for something you didn't do or you may be dead because that's what's happening sometimes with law enforcement. Not to say all officers are uh, disrespectful or rude or murderers, but it's always in the back of our heads. Like I remember going to school in the South, being pulled over in Mississippi. I was so scared on the way to Grambling. And I'm like, we can pulled over in Mississippi. We got three black boys in the car on our way to Grambling, Grambling State are we going to make it to Gremlin State because the history of the South and the history of that road, Emmett Till getting drug on that road and stuff like that. So um, it's 
it's sad that we have to have those conversations and it's we've been here 400 plus years now and we still are not treated like citizens and i tell the young folks that it is so important to think about your network think about what you have because many of our white counterparts uh, that get in trouble in the middle of the country or something like that their parents probably super connected so when they go and do their three five years with a felony they can still come back and get a corporate job because they got a connection at the top and we don't have that same pipeline our our brothers uh we got two formerly incarcerated brothers on this call today that are uh that are open to telling their story and talking from that experience and they're doing constructive positive things and truth be told these brothers should probably be teaching in some of our schools <laughs> because and, and they should have that opportunity after that rehabilitation piece what's up lejon i see you thanks for jumping over how you doing yes patrick uh, patrick is trying to get in right now we waited i guess we hit the wrong link to sign in but i'm glad you let us in Dwayne. okay all good all right yeah so you can introduce yourself yeah <laughs> okay hello everyone yes my name is lejon reese uh, I go by Fahim, also a, a Muslim. Um, as Dwayne was saying, yes, I'm a long-term offender. I was arrested in 1987 in Richmond, California, and I was released in 2018. So I ended up doing um, possibly 30 years, 10 months. Yes, from age 17 to 48. I've been out, and since I've been home, I created a nonprofit organization was called Motivated to Help Others. And what Motivated to Help Others is about we use mentorship, education, well as fitness to connect with the citizens, but most of all, the youth and the average children, underserved children, as we know, from Richmond all the way to Vallejo. And I also uh, started a podcast, was called 100 Years. And collect collectively, the 100 years, you know, it signifies three of us. We did a totality of 100 years, and we were sentenced to a totality of 100 years. And my sentence particularly was 43 years of life. They told me I never would come home. Well, when I come home, I'd be old and old and barely not able to walk. So, you know, by the mercy and grace of God, I was able to go through the struggle of being incarcerated, um, you know, for the things I've done. And I humbly regret them. And now I'm able to come out. I'm off parole. I, you know, they said I, I, wouldn't, I'd be off, I wouldn't be on parole for at least seven years to life. So I've been off parole for the last month and a half. And uh, things have been going good. And... uh. And about the subject matter right now, I agree with what Dwayne was saying. I heard what he had to say. Uh, we have to look at history. We have to look, we have to go to the top of everything. Because when, when we look at a body of a person, and a body of a person that's corrupt, that have any type of disease, you wanna you wanna attack where the disease is at. You wanna hit the if the disease is in a heart, you wanna attack the heart. You know, or like a snake, you wanna cut the head off a snake. So when we're dealing with um, social injustice, we deal with racism and things like that. We have to look, we have to look where it comes from, uh, where it ignites at. And then also we have to have the proper education to face it. You know, because some of us saying about the girl who had the knife. True indeed. Yes, um, she should have had a knife and she should have been stabbing the other girl for whatever reason. But when we put on a badge and we raise our hand to say, protect and serve. So we're going to protect and serve. We're going to do a specific training. So if I'm a police officer, I'll pull up in a car. Initially, I'm going to see 
two girls fighting, one with a knife. Okay. Think, first of all, before any action, it's always a thought. We have to think, okay, but I don't care. Even, even if it's haphazardly, no matter how fast, you, you still have to think. If we don't think, we're going to sink. So, bam, why not? If, you, if you're going to use a gun, use a gun, aim at the feet. Aim at the ankle instead of aiming or shooting to kill, right? Because we know bullets, they piercing anywhere. Some bullets, you can aim for the shoulder and it travel through your heart, right? Now, you have trained officers, and, and a lot of them come from backgrounds, of military backgrounds, from their father, their grandparents on down. A lot of them go to these schools, right? And they, and they get these different types of education. And a lot of them been, um, dealt with um, bullies. A lot of them been bullied. And so what, and so what they want to do, they go into these different um, trades or different schools and become officers or law, you know, want to be um, law and body people, whatever you want to, whoever they want to be. But when we dealing with people, if I'm a human being, then I want to be treated as a human being so I can cheat. It would no matter what color race they are. You know what I mean? No matter what the skin color. And so it goes back again. It goes to the top. You know, it's all about history. Understand that history so we can attack the solutions. I mean, attack the problems, attack the problems and have good solutions for them. And that's all I want to say right now. Thank you for that, brother. Appreciate that. Welcome home, man. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I love it. Maggie? Yeah, thank you so much, LeJohn, for talking about that and sharing a little bit of your story. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, you're welcome. Um, so this has been brought up several times already during this conversation. So I want to move on to another question that we had. Um, so this guilty verdict, right, is only the beginning. Um, something that I keep hearing is that this is accountability, but not justice. Um, we've mentioned several times about the 16-year-old that was fatally shot by the police in Columbus, Ohio, about 20 minutes before the verdict was delivered on the 20th. Um, so it's painfully clear that so much more is needed. So we've kind of touched on it a little bit. A few of you have spoken on this, but what, in, you, in your opinions, what is needed, both big and small, and how can we continue in this fight against racism and police brutality and murder? Why don't you feel this question, Mr. Scott? Patrick Scott. <laughs> you got to come off mute. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, how you doing? Patrick Scott here. Sorry for the delay. I think you need to hear the question again, Maggie. What was the question? Yeah, so we've just been talking a little bit about reform and complete structural change that's needed um, within the police, or we've even someone has mentioned abolishing the police. Um, so in your opinion, what, what's needed both big and small um, in terms of structural change and how can we all continue to fight against racism and police brutality and murder that we see? I think, I think for, for in general, generalizing for the change of structure of the police force, I think it needs to be more encompassing all the communities that they're policing. They need to see uh, reflection of the people need to see the people that grew up in their neighborhoods, you know, uh, 
as we know in this nation, majority of the police force is European, or should I say, of white descent. And of course, they come from all different backgrounds, but they don't come from our background. So when they come into our neighborhoods, we're foreign to them and they're foreign to us. All they're going off is a, 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 what they're trained to do, right? But not conducting themselves or conducting themselves with us as human beings. So if you have people that grew up in our neighbors and our communities in general, right? That we know, see, talk to, or not, and know they're upstanding citizen, then we will conduct ourselves differently to that police officer. You know, it works hand in hand. So this is like I went to Montclair. I'm from Oakland, California. When I go to Montclair or when I go to Alameda, you got police officers that live in Alameda that actually will come out and talk to me and tell me to turn around because they're protecting the community that they're from. So it's a difference, you know what I mean? So it, it, it works hand in hand. A lot of police that we see or come in our communities, we don't know them. We don't know where they come from. They made, uh, uh, came in from a different state. And so they treat us totally different. You know, so uh, I think that's very important. They need to encompass more people that reflects the communities that they're policing. Thank you for that. Dwayne says that all the time. We need to have more people from our neighborhood in the police. But then again, their training needs to change. That's my thing. Like, your training is bad. The way they do it, I think it's less to be a cop than it is to be a beautician. A beautician goes to school longer than a cop is trained to go out on the street to deal with you. That baffles me. You know, uh, that, that leads me astray. I'm like, so now we should just be hiring psychologists and therapists to become police officers because at least they'll know how to deal with situations emotionally. Uh, somebody said earlier, uh, they come out there ready to kill. Every, every, every death that took place by a cop's hand is all center mass. They're center mass killing. So you're not even trying to, you know, non-lethal with this situation. Ms. Anya, go ahead. Um, and I also just wanted to say that I think the issue is, is that, you know, we, cops get caught for everything and that should not be the case. Why are we calling them for someone who may be mentally disabled, someone who's autistic, like Elijah McClain and things of that nature? We need to be calling social services and just other people to handle those situations because police, they are not trained to those kind of things. And they do not have enough training to know that someone who is mentally disabled or has other social issues and just any other kind of thing, they're not, they're just not capable of doing before we go straight to calling the police because they just don't know how to handle them clearly. Right. And while you're on that topic, Tone, I think it's so important, like East Oakland is West Oakland. It's it's scary. Like when you have when you like my nephews, they went to they went to school yesterday to Amherst and they was like, please don't call me an Uber. Let me catch the bus. And I was so scared. I'm like, you're going all the way from West Oakland to East Oakland. And I'm like, you got those new Kyrie's on. And I'm like, I don't, I, I was scared. I, I think I called them probably like four, five times. They was like, uncle, we are all right, we're home. But it's sad that you're scared. And I bring that up because we, while we don't wanna be over police, we have to do a better job as a community being willing to step into our communities, be like, 
y'all gotta y'all gotta pack up and either y'all go put on a suit and tie and you go you go get your best dress on or whatever you want to wear and you are about to step it up and you're about to get yourself together we're providing a job for you but you got to get off the block you can't do this in our neighborhoods the people in those communities have to roll up because i was on a call with the chief of police and he and he was speaking about how he have calls from parents in the deep east who are scared to let their kids out of their backyards and so they got a nice bike, but they can't go riding their bike through the neighborhood because it's too dangerous. And so we have to be realistic about what it is that we want and what it looks like. But I totally agree. We need more folks in the social services participating in policing. We need educators participating in policing. Uh, it needs to kind of be like Salesforce, I guess, where you have all of these different things that help Salesforce run. We need all of these different departments to help the police actually be peace officers, peace officers in service to community. But it's, it's, it's not something that's going to happen overnight because it is systemic and you're trying to take down a whole invisible brotherhood of law that uh, I, I firmly believe that when the, when the KKK put up their hoods, they said we are about to become lawyers and police officers so we can still pimp them from a whole nother way and hurt them from a whole nother way. And it's systemic. Strategic. Go ahead, Brother Scott. Well, this 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 conversation is very enlightening, but like like the brother just spoke, right? We have to be honest with ourselves, right? From our neighborhoods, right? We all come from well, most of us. I know I do. I, I grew up in North Oakland, and I went to Elmhurst, by the way, for a year. So I understand where he's coming from. But what I'm saying is that we encourage those who become doctors, lawyers, firemen, police officers that come to our communities to when they become that, they leave. They leave, they go somewhere else. So what I'm saying is, is that we go to, they get college educated and they're taught to, once you leave the community, don't never go back, right? We, we it ain't just you, you from East Oakland and all of us was dope dealers, pimps or whatever. No, we have lawyers, we have doctors, we have all these people, but we don't see them because once they become that, they leave, right? What I'm saying is if, if I, I have friends that, are lawyers. I have friends that became doctors. I have some friends, but I don't see them because they changed their life. So they left. But what I'm saying is those same people know me and know the people that they grew up in the community. So we see them as a police officer. It'll be a better communication to where's like, say, for instance, at Elmhurst, when my cousin went to the military and came back, he became a hall monitor. He changed me because once he be, was I seen him working at the school, I, I couldn't act a certain way. That's my big cousin. So we have there's certain things going on in the community, right? Just like in the, in the European community, just like in the Asian community, just like in every other community, they have those things in place. You know what I mean? So you're just not going to do anything. And that's the problem. What they do is they bring a, a, a whole platoon of officers in our communities that don't know us. All they look at us is criminals. So they handle us like criminals. You know what I mean? But if we had people that we grew up with, or should I say that, grew up in the community and became an officer, came a fireman, and we see them, we would communicate because we know them. We grew up with them. Everybody wasn't a criminal. You know what I mean? Everybody was, everybody made their own decisions, but that's the problem. 
You know, we bring these foreign dudes up in here and they, and they treat us all as criminals. They treat us all black dudes they see on the corner, on the streets, they're criminals. They must be doing something. They're suspect. And so that's their training. So what you're saying was true. Yeah, it used to be, they need to be retaught. But at the same time, you need to have somebody that you can go to and say, hey, man, we going into East Oakland. Hey, man, I know about that community as well. I know those guys over there. Everybody's not a criminal. You know what I mean? Let me go talk to them. Whatever the case may be. You have to have a social rapport. You know what I mean? You can't just approach somebody and think everybody is just breaking the law in general. And that's the problem. You know what I mean? It could be a lawyer, doctor, anybody on the corner talking to talking to his homeboys for a brief minute. But when the police pull up, he's looking at him as a criminal. You know what I mean? And it gets caught up like that. And so when he stands up for himself, because he's saying, I ain't a criminal, the police want to put hands on him. He want to treat him as a criminal because that's how he's trained. He don't know. You know what I mean? And so these are the kind of things that need to be said at these academies because when they get trained, these officers, you must be trained to put officers in the communities or where they come from. So they know just how to police based on their training. You know what I mean? So that's the problem, I believe. I have no qualms with that. Um, Maggie? Yeah, thank you, Patrick. Um, yeah, I mean, this is very, very important conversation and there's no easy answer. And like a lot of you have said, I feel like this is gonna take a long time to make these structural changes. Um, but Again, very important that we're having this conversation here today. Does anyone else have any thoughts about structural changes and what's needed or thoughts about what anyone has already said? Yeah, Lejean, go ahead. Yeah, yes, I want to add on to it what Patrick and what Dwayne was saying about having officers and those in our communities that we can identify with. Uh, I have a cousin, Kalala Harper. She's a Richmond police officer, but she was killed um, unfortunately, by her strange boyfriend in 2006. But before she became a police officer, uh, she knew everyone in the community. So she, she went to college in Sacramento. She came back. And so I was incarcerated. So she asked me a question. She said, Lejean, how do you feel about me becoming a police officer? She asked me this. I said, well, I already heard you already in going to the academy and everything. I said, listen, becoming a police officer because we need your kind. You're black, you're honest, and we don't see this every day. Someone come from where we come from and want to come back, but not to just uh, arrest, stigmatize, and say, uh, everyone, like Patrick said, everyone's a dope builder, everyone's a pimp, everyone's a hustler. We want to give one each equal respect and an opportunity to become hard. And so, when she first became a police officer, they had her just as a regular police, just a uh, beat cop, you know, just driving a police cars. So she saw a lot of corruption. She saw drugs being planted, uh, individuals. Uh, one day, my cousin, he was in a was arrested. And so she didn't know, well, he didn't know that she was being trained. And so what had happened was that the arresting officer knew my cousin. So they wanted to, you know, because he'd been in and out the system. So what she did, she let the other officer know that she was related to him. So she said, hey, look what you're doing. This is wrong. You can't like this. So she uh, diffused the situation, allowed my cousin to be detained respectfully as a human, take to the police station, you know, fingerprinting him. But they released him because he didn't do anything wrong. It was just you driving. 
I know him basically John Wild Black or John because he's an ex-drug dealer. And so it's things, it's things like we coming up in these communities of poverty, uh, low, low finances uh, situations, but we leave, you know? So the thing is, why leave when we know the place where we leaving is most to go take care of another community who don't really need us? And that's all I want to add. We, we need to stay where we, where we need it and where we love that instead of going somewhere where you don't know the terrain, you don't know the people, you don't understand schools, you don't understand the education. The kids can't ride their bikes. You have little kids now, like you said, wouldn't even talk to the police. Back when I was growing up, it was okay to say how you do it because they knew it. It was always two or three that knew us and they went on about their business. But as a whole, it needs a real overhaul in the comfort education. Yes, yes, I, I truly believe that because um, it, it just baffles me the fact that what is the reason to have a court system in place, judges, lawyers, attorneys, whatever, when our peace officers are judge, jury, and executioner on scene every day? But I don't even see a reasoning for a court system at all, or even a prison system. They're already running that just from their car and on any scene they're on. So anyway, Miss Maggie, don't let me get started, please. Go. Anybody <laughs> else have anything to say? I love what you're saying, so feel free to continue. Um, Patrick, you were going to say something. And then we have Justin with the raised hand after. No, I'll pass. I'll let somebody else speak. I'll pass. Go ahead. Okay, Justin, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, I think a really another interesting thing that's happening with, um, if we're purely focusing on the police, is like the media is um, pretty much at the moment, like only focusing on um, African-American or Black, um, like, police deaths, while, at, like, at the same time, so many, um, like, so many other races are being unjustfully um, killed by police all the time, and I feel like um, if we could just, like, highlight the other deaths as well that are happening, that then becomes a problem of um, the police just, like, pretty much just having power and just thinking that um, they can get by with anything, which is, I feel like the real problem um, with the police, um, just like that power. Um, and at the moment having way too much of it and having all these things happen and still that power isn't reconsidered or adjusted by um, the people higher than the police. Um, and that's, that's really just what I wanted to um, highlight real quick. Can I say something to that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, is it Justin just spoke? Yes. Uh, um, no pun intended, Justin, right? Um, what we're speaking about, I believe, right? I, I'm not downplaying what you're saying, but what we're speaking about is a long history. And this is not, yeah, police killed, I'm quite sure it's recorded, they killed every complexity every race is on this planet no doubt Ain't nobody right? but what i'm saying man in the history of this country right they've been killing black men like perpetually i mean perpetually i mean one mother was like 10 people i mean they got to a point in houston when they a police officer went up in a man's house and killed him and they thought it was she was in the wrong house 
She thought she was in her apartment and he broke in her house. He was in his own house. I mean, when you start having cases like that, I mean, it, 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 it's appalling. You know what I mean? Because the judicial system has always prejudiced us. And I'm not trying to make this a, a black and white issue. It already is. It already is a black and white issue. You know what I mean? So uh, I don't want Justin to walk away to feel that, you know, we just talk about black and white, like as if, you know, that's all the concern. I'm concerned for every race, but it needs, uh, uh, police needs an overhaul because now we're dealing with a, a systemic racism, meaning that when you have a system that's already perpetuated, it's like preying on a black man, it's like to kill him. You know what I mean? When you when you when a black man like just like he got killed with his wife and kid in the car, that just happened what about a year ago? Hold on a second. Well, good. He's right. Um, and Justin, you, you're actually justified in what you're saying as well. None of us are safe. You know, keep it real. None of us are safe. Yes, Dr. Taylor. Yes, and when we talk about the overhaul of the justice system, I think one of the biggest pieces that we need to look at is the requirements of becoming an officer. Because we talk about all the time how we need you know, uh, police officers that look like us in our community. But the problem is that if you have this felony um, or you know this uh, high ranking misdemeanor, you're not, whether it's covertly or overtly shown, you're not able to get into the police academy because they shine upon that. So by shining upon that, you get a lot of these quote unquote squeaky clean people who come from all over the country to come in because a lot of the people who know the community that can uh, communicate and interact with the community, they're not qualified to do so because at some point, maybe they were 18 or you know sometimes even 17 and received a uh, felony for something like weed or you know just some random you know act and now they're not able to apply to become an officer so now you have this uh, minute group of people who could be chosen as police officers so if you restructure that and kind of reframe who can bleep who can be police officers i think then we'll have a plethora of people that you know that could represent the communities but until you do that you're not even able to become a police officer so a lot of people are shunned away you know based on those facts alone all right i can appreciate that Dwayne. Yeah, also that police assessment test if you're not focused in your english skills that writing assessment it's kind of like that's like the weeding you out of even being able to start the process of becoming a peace officer. But I strongly believe that in in Oakland, for example, we could probably we can probably come together and get legislation drafted that's that states like, look, if the person goes to jail and do the time. You can't ask them about that and they can come and they can work in any place within Oakland. But Oakland's very different as compared to the whole United States of America or even some of our our neighboring cities. Right. So a place like Richmond, you can probably get some some literature drafted to to start pressing the envelope. But again, some of the most brilliant people, I'm working on a doctorate degree, and some of the most brilliant people that I've sat across from and spoken to, they all have been 
formerly incarcerated and their minds, I'm like, man, you should be in a classroom. You should be teaching at a university. Like, and we sometimes we do this thing when in mentoring, right? Where we do not allow folks who have a history or a story to mentor and to talk like the big brothers, big sisters program. I work for them, but if you, they were trying to find black male mentors in Oakland in the Bay area, but they couldn't find any because so many of the folks that did have the available time, they couldn't pass the background check. They weren't murderers. They weren't folks that had sexual crimes. They had drug crimes, petty theft, stuff like that. And they could not do mentoring and they wanted to give back. And partially that's why I started a nonprofit is because I wanted to be able to have the power to say, I like this person's story. I want this person to work with me. I want this person to support my org because I believe if we start teaching our kids how to think three-dimensionally and making decisions and understanding that everything that you do is going to have a positive and a negative at the same time, but which one outweighs each other. Um, I think Justin also, I think that's a strong media campaign when we talk about drafting legislation, the push to really show the whole narrative, like our police should not be killing us. Uh, I think that color context is very important, but the history of us black folks just being over police uh, and just it's, it's sad and it's time to come to a halt because at every civil rights juncture, black faces have been there, black bodies have been slaughtered, and then we also don't benefit after that civil rights era. So we have to have a collective bargain in power and we have to we have to hold people accountable for taking care of our communities and we have to hold people accountable who are in our communities like the Casamont football players they should feel safe walking home after football practice right so it's it's sad where they got to be sometimes escorted with OPD to get home so we have a lot of work to do in our communities, our neighborhoods, and uh, everybody on here need to, whatever city you in, young people, there's an opportunity for you to all join uh, join the youth, uh, the youth foundation that pretty much helps support, shape the conversation around what city government should be doing from a local perspective and it's paid. Dr. Taylor, I'll make sure I pull up that email so I can send it to you so you can send it to the kids at the castle. Uh, and it's it's time for everybody to roll up their sleeves, go to work. If you don't like something, it's time to force it to change. You you can you can stand at the at the at the TV, but if your parents didn't vote, they did you a disservice because they didn't share your voice. They didn't stand up for you. Your voting power is very important. Um, and we all have to start believing in ourselves and understanding that you can do anything that you want to do. If you're thinking about it, it can happen. And there's no such thing as a bad child. There's no such thing as a bad person. Those things are taught. That's learned behavior. You are naturally born good, but what you're taught is what you become. And so 
if you're growing up in a situation where you see people around you and you like, that's not right. You don't have to get into that muddy water. You can do something different. Dare to be different. Be an individual. I'm going to get off my soapbox, right? <laughs> Turn it back over to oh, somebody else. That's good information. It's good information, especially talking about bringing brothers that just got out of prison. They have a lot to offer. But that paying debt, you know, when you pay your debt to society, when you do that, you're not paying anything because when you get out, your debt is deeper when you get out here. Uh, I felt the same way when I came home. Uh, I was like, okay, I did my time. Now what? I can't get a job? What was the point of me doing the time then? So it's it's a lot that comes with that. Does anybody else have anything to say to that? Uh, yes, I have something to say. Uh, I agree. Once we um, come home from incarceration, from doing whatever amount of time we have done, and we're talking about helping the community, it's good to get on these panels and just, you know, we, we talk, talk, talk. But with that talking, we got to put some action behind it. We got to figure out these ways. You know, how, how can we make these positive changes? How can we make these progressive changes? Because we say we're from these communities, but are we going back to the communities where we're from? That, see, that, that's what the change because those in the community from, those who are the those who carry the guns, are we scared to talk to them or can we go talk to those guys? What can we do to say, hey, man, put that gun down? Or, or, or not go hunting the other side, you know, because I understand where they come from because I was there. I have to really uh, depend on ourselves and ourselves as a whole, as a community, as a people, and structure around that. We got to build solid foundations inside of our communities. You know, even 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 when we just see the infrastructure in our communities, the streets are so uh, damaged. You can't even drive your cars through there. We can start right there. Go to these, go to these, uh, these man, man, fix these streets. You know, we can start right there and and while at the same time hit the parks, hit. But once we uh, we visual, they can see us in there. Then they know we're doing something, and not just getting these computers and just talking. And and that's where the change all day long. But are we going up in there? And that's what Patrick and myself do. We go inside the communities. You know, we ain't scared. Whatever going to happen, happen. But we up in there. And uh, <clears throat> to add to your point too, uh, Fahim, uh, it was deep where uh, Dwayne was saying right. But it, it, just like when they grant us parole, I'm a long term offender. You know what I mean? I got I did 30 years. I don't have no shame about it. I went in as a youth, 19, came out at 50. Uh, when I got out, it was all about re I'm going to reacclimate. You know what I mean? With all the things that I've learned, what not to do, and the things now I had to part on myself, what to do, right? So I had to reconnect to my community first. And then after that, right, start trying to do positive things, right? Connect with positive people because you're only good as you surround yourself with. And that includes us all. You know what I mean? Police and everything. So when you go in these communities, you talk to the youth, you tell them, hey, man, if you ain't in the streets, man. You, it ain't nothing wrong with you being a police officer. The problem is this. When you become that, you come police your neighborhood. You know what I mean? You come police the neighborhood where you from because you know people up in your neighborhood. You know what I mean? When you become a doctor, you come work at the local uh, hospital so you can help people in your community. You know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with doing that. If you ain't in the streets, right, there's nothing wrong for you to inspire whatever you want to be. You know, whatever you want to be. That's what we, we tell them. We give them the wrong message. You know what I mean? So when we go in this community and we talk to them, let them know all our mistakes at their age, their primal age, right? we let them know all the outlets they do have. And we got to become big brothers. We got to let them know you can come talk to us at any time because we're here. You know, regardless of what the system says about us, because the system doesn't even know. 
they're coming to us for answers because yeah. the, the, the status quo is corrupt. The status quo is corrupt. It was all uh, 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 by demise, you know what I mean, for, for the ruling party. We know what it is. You know what I mean? We ain't going to sugarcoat. We're going to tell it how it is. You know what I mean? Because we got to live with it. Why not be truthful with yourself when you got to live with it? You know what I mean? So, you know, going to that point, it just got, it's very important that we understand that we, right, grassrooted people have to make that change. We have to speak to, you know, people that's in position to let them know that you can't make change from the top. The 1%. You too busy taking vacations and traveling around the world being, you know, pompous. You know what I mean? So the, the whole, the quality of the people is on the grass rooted. You know what I mean? Those who's coming out of prison and made their change, reacclimate and coming back to help the communities, you should use them effectively. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, give them the right to vote again. Give them their rights because we understand what it was to do wrong by being ignorant. It wasn't that we just was raised wrong. We just was ignorant to a lot of things and we work for what we know, being in poverty. You know what I mean? So, you know, if you don't understand it from that point, you will never understand this. Never. You know what I mean? If you come from a uh, uh, a form of uh, being taken care of all your life or things handed to you and giving you a direction and a purpose, because a lot of them are military uh, kids. A lot of them, say parents tell them, hey, man, all you got to do this. I already got it set up for you to be officer. All you got to do is do this, that, and the other. You know what I mean? Your grandfather's an officer. Your father's an officer. You know what I mean? Every, you know what I mean? So those are the politicians that we have in place. So they have a regiment. They have a rigid understanding of what humanity is. So for us being grassrooted and understanding that they're coming in our communities, killing us, we see it so much, you know, and then when we speak out, it's as if, you know, I'm talking, they ain't just talking about uh, our communities in California, and we, we can go in every state. That's one thing that the, the black, brown people have in common. We understand that pain. You know what I mean? So we cannot allow anyone to tell us that, you know, you're insufficient because you got out of prison. You know right. what I mean? And, mm -hmm. you know, you don't matter as much as I do because I didn't go to prison. You know, that's the, that's, that's, that to me, that's, uh, that's junk mail. It's not even insufficient for change. You know, if I come debilitated and I, and I reacclimate myself as a man first and a God-fearing man and go into my communities and try to help change, then you should be able to use me effectively to bring about the change of the whole. If you're not looking at that sphere, you don't really care. You know what I mean? As long as it don't affect your communities or where you come from or what your lifestyle. As long as it don't yeah. affect that, as long as it's keep you down low, we cool with that. You know what I mean? So we got to be uh, conscious of what it really means to be unified for, for a united front in terms of change. We got to be real clear on that. You yeah, know what I mean? Is hard in that or we just talking? You know what I mean? Is your heart in it? Because I feel that when that brother got killed. I wasn't like hella happy that the police uh, went to jail for the thing. I was sad that that man got killed for nothing. Yep. And it's getting to that point. Yeah, it's getting to that point. so much, you know? It's getting to that point, man. I for an eye, man. Like, in my heart, I'm a 42-year-old man, and I just feel war coming. I've been feeling it for a while, you know? Like, I feel there's a war brewing. And in a minute, we're not going to have any other response then to fight back, you know, because that's where it's charging that way. Um, right. Dr. Fred, anybody? Yeah. I would just see what you were saying, you know, but I...
I I call that the uh, the Rambo effect. Remember Rambo with the first Rambo, first blood. He he was he was good. He was he was living his life. You know, he went to the store. He said, "I was okay, but I'm not the one who drew first blood, right?" And that's what we see now. As the system, as the people, we was all we always been loved, always been cared. We always had an open heart to allow people in. As Dwayne say, we, it's over 450 years of this here, right? And so you can you can only take so much. Right. And, and and it's a point of time to where uh the black and brown people when we stop executing each other, right? And now the, the youth or the, or the men, they are guns, they uh they loading up too, but not for themselves. The police so my so the thought is now if the police pull me over nine times out of ten, if I reach for my ID, I reach for my license, the keys to put my hands on, I might get shot. Right, so why not shoot first? That's what's going to happen. That's the mind state that's being developed or is developed now, you know. And so, I just want to say that you know, uh, it's the Rambo effect. I appreciate that. Before we leave, Dr. Fred, you got anything for us, man? I ain't heard you. Where he at? Oh, he gone. Okay, anybody else have anything to say? Because this can go on forever. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait until the 14th episode because we'll actually be interviewing LeJohn and is Patrick going to be on that interview call too? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to make sure Yeah, yes, yes. I can't wait questions for both of you then. Yeah, okay. I can't wait for y'all to talk about <laughs> y'all mentoring or what y'all got in the works out there in Richmond area. So I'm definitely looking forward to hearing May the 14th, am I correct? Yep, May the 14th. Yeah. Yes, sir. All righty. Ms. Maggie B, you want to head us out? Yeah, so thank you everyone. Um, a lot of us are a lot of us have had to go already, but thank you everyone for joining us today to talk about this again, very heavy but very important topic, something that's gonna continue to be relevant as we're seeing in the news every single day. Um, this verdict has not solved the issue. Again, it's accountability, not justice. We're looking for justice and real change. Um, and I really appreciate everyone coming on and talking about your own experiences and speaking your truth. And I hope that everyone listening um, has learned something today or gained some further insight into this issue. Um, so I'm Maggie B, along with Tony Siona. And thank you so much for joining us on this very special episode of We The Scenario. And see you next thank week. You. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Salute you guys. Thank you so much, man. For